Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Sex Wrap. We are here today being me, Spring, and... Hi, everybody. This is Andrew. How you doing? <laughs> so we love to um, just occasionally introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit about who we are. And I think we don't do that often enough. So I'll just say I am a professor at CUNY School of Public Health in New York City. And Andrew. Hi, I'm a professor of uh, public health here at the University of Miami. Beautiful, awesome, lovely. It was 78 degrees today and sunny. I love being here. It's really nice, except for summer when it's really moist outside. So we often get trapped in talking about the weather because I'm always jealous of his weather until it gets really hot in the summer and then he's jealous of my weather. <laughs> but I I did want to talk a little bit today because I have been having some of those winter days that have just been so cold that I don't want to leave the house and it makes me kind of sad. I remember <laughs> those. I lived in Pennsylvania for a long time for my undergrad and then I worked and then grad school and then a fellowship. I was there a long time and uh I mean, and if you're in the Northeast or if you're in the Northwest, it gets like really gray too. Like there's no sunshine, there's no blue skies. There's just like ugly gray slush and snow everywhere. Yeah. And it's like hard to really (laughs) want to leave the house and do things, even though I love doing things. Um, What do you do when it's like that? Not that you have those days anymore, but what did you used to do? I used to have probably 40 to 50 different winter jackets and I would have like (laughs) special ones that I really love, but I'd only wear them on days where I really didn't want to go outside. So I'd be like, you know what? Today is the burgundy peacoat kind of day. And I would just wear it that one day for the whole winter. And that day I'd feel really special about myself. And if I felt better about myself, defeating the awful cold cloudiness was a lot easier. All right, all right, all right. For those of us who don't have 50 winter jackets to choose from, <laughs> um, I mean, I was thinking maybe something about, I do like something that I reward myself with when I get somewhere. Like I really like matcha. So I'd be like, oh, I can get a warm matcha like at that place near my work if I like it. <laughs> Make it out of my house and get to work. <laughs> I mean, you don't have a whole bunch of scarves where you can pick the special scarf for the day. I don't. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I did. I I don't really have seasonal affective disorder. Like the the, the weather, I'm like, oh well, I, it doesn't really phase me. I'm like, as you could probably tell from listening, I'm overwhelmingly like upbeat and happily and bubbly. Even on my days where I'm feeling like sick and terrible, I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's fine. Let's have a conversation. I don't like the cold very much though. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is obviously not our expertise. We don't have a lot of great ideas on this topic, but do you know what we have a lot of great ideas about? Oh my gosh. Um, on communicating about sex. Oh, we love that. That we've got some ideas about. <laughs> and our question today is is kind of funny because uh, one of one of our lovely listeners, thank you whoever submitted this, uh, said, told us that uh, you're constantly telling us to communicate about sex, but... How do we communicate about sex about really hard, complicated, or difficult questions or conversations? Um, yeah. 
I think, yeah. And we have a few specific questions that people have asked that are like, I need specific help communicating about this thing. And yeah, I think it's really good to kind of talk through some specific conversations, some ones that people find a little more difficult to kind of show some examples and think about how we could do this together. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, at the base of it, the way to get better at communicating about sex is just to start talking more, like just to practice. Um, But practice doesn't necessarily get you over the hurdle of really hard conversations. So um, thank you for submitting your questions, everyone. Keep emailing them. Keep uh, DMing us on social media. We love your questions. And we're going to try to tackle three all about how can I communicate about harder con- or topics during sex. And um, I really like the first one. It comes up in my day-to-day life all the time. We have many questions that have submitted about, uh, about consent. Um, so the question spring what if someone tells you asking for consent is really, and then in quotes, awkward. 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 Yeah. So we have an episode or two or three or 10 probably talking about consent and how to ask for consent and stuff. And I think this one's really interesting because it's not actually the question of how do I ask for consent? It's, um, my partner like finds it really awkward to do it. And so that actually puts up a little barrier to the communication in asking for consent because it kind of makes it seem like, oh, that's not sexy or they don't want to do it. So then that puts up a roadblock to asking for consent, which is um, terrible because that's something we need to be able to communicate about easily and often. And, you know, that's a recurring conversation that we have. So if we have some type of roadblock there, that means that it's like perpetually coming up. Um, So yeah, if one of your partners tells you that they find asking for consent to be really awkward, then I think one of the first things we want to do is talk to your partner about why they think that's awkward. I mean, I would even take it a step further back. Like, why is consent awkward? What does consent mean to you? And why do you think that we need to be having that kind of conversation? Like, like, take it way back to the beginning about like, what does consent look like? And why is it important. I had a really funny shower thought about consent. I sent uh, Spring a text a couple weeks ago. Um, I I have weird thoughts in the shower. I'll, I, you're lucky that I don't divulge <laughs> them all here. But my shower thought about consent is that uh, often people don't understand what it means or they pretend they don't understand what it means until they're in a context where they definitively want to say no to something, right? So consent is easy if it's you wanting to say no. Um and a lot of the conversation surrounding like the awkwardness of consent is often about like heterosexual men and conversations where they either don't under they say they don't understand or they don't understand some signals that are going on or they find it awkward. Um, we don't know if this question came from uh, a male or female, but you know where heterosexual men under understand consent perfectly. Yeah, it's yeah. a gay bar. And that pretty like it makes a lot of sense. And and when I saw this question, like instantly it took my brain to my shower thoughts. Like we need to define consent better so people understand why you're asking for it. And sometimes I think changing the context helps get to the question. But we haven't even really started answering it yet. So, like, what do you do? Yeah, spring? I mean, so 
I, I just want to say that, you know, having these conversations about what consent means with your partner and why they find it awkward, like this is very important before you just try to do this. Okay, I'm going to get over the awkward hump with them because you need to understand what's going on for them. So maybe it could be that, you know, they had someone react poorly in the past or they like they just so one of their other partners thought it was really unsexy and got really angry whenever they asked for consent or something. So, you know, they might not want to do it now, or it could be that they don't actually really understand what consent is or why it's important. And so they kind of just have phrased it as, you know, this is awkward because they don't really get it. Um, and or maybe they just uh, don't have a lot of practice with it. And so it seems like kind of anxiety producing to them. But if you have some conversations about consent and about whatever awkwardness that person thinks might be there, then you can start to actually get to the root of how to address it. And so, I mean, we, we can give some just kind of tips to get over um, like awkward, silly feelings. But if a partner is really expressing this, I think that having that further in-depth conversation to really explore it's really important and um and these are this type of conversation is something that you don't want to do right before about you're about to engage in sexual activity this is the type of conversation you're having um when you're bored sitting on the couch and you don't know what else to do (laughs) right like when netflix tells you like are you still watching the show no because we need to have this conversation about (laughs) Like why, why consent is important and why is it awkward for you? Um, and, and I mean, I feel really badly that we live in a world where people feel so terribly about their own sexual agency or like their own relationships that the conversation about consent is awkward rather than the conversation about consent being easy and sexy, right? Like I love flipping the script about uh consent like if you're with somebody in a relationship right because this question is like about someone you know that you're that you probably want to have sex with already but the conversation about consent is awkward and i don't i mean so okay so defeated before before we just get to some kind of silly tips specifically for this one i just want to say um i really like what you said about when netflix says are you still watching um because i think you know we're always looking for these um opportunistic moments to like uh drop into conversations that are that we've been meaning to have or something like that and i think we should create more of these like oh that's a good moment and we should we should like use that one anytime netflix says are you still watching it's like oh time to have a hard conversation because we watched (laughs) too much tv (laughs) that's a really good one i mean it's the perfect perfect pregnant pause like you get a little break and uh i mean Hey, listeners, if you want to tell us other perfect times to have hard conversations, if you want to suggest it, we'll post it across our social media as well. But I mean, think about times where you should be having the conversation and spring is 100% correct. The time to have a conversation about feeling awkward about consent is not when you're about to engage in behaviors (laughs) that require consent. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk specific for this one. If someone tells you uh, asking for consent is awkward, like how can you get over that? Um, So I would say that, okay, so you've already had these other conversations we recommend and you've maybe gotten through some of that. Um, If there's just like some awkwardness around it because someone uh, just 
doesn't feel very practiced in it and they don't feel very comfortable with it, then what would be a good tip for that person? Do you think, Andrew? I think that there's some really simple things that we can do and use language like, hey, do you want to or are you interested in or what do you want or what do you need? So instead of saying like the consent language, I mean, those are all different kinds of consent. You can make it like real, like sometimes people put way too much weight on it. And what you really want to say is like, hey, do you want to go bang? Like it's that it's that simple. Like just just use some language. And sometimes the tip is thinking about like what your needs are, what the other person's needs are, and just like asking a question that sort of brings those two together in that lovely moment of bang. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do you think a good tip is? Well, I was going to say that um, if you want to uh, like make it a little sillier, a little more fun, like you could make up a code word for sex or something with your partner. Um, or it could even be like, hey, do you want to go get awkward? And like you talk about this before, so you know that's what it means. So there's no like misunderstandings and but someone actually knows what they're consenting to. But if you like make up a code word or something that like kind of embraces that awkwardness instead of like really just trying to say I shouldn't feel that way like it's okay if you're unpracticed at something and it feels a little awkward like that's fine and so if you can just kind of say like that's cool I feel this way and like let's use some type of word for it that we both make up together and think is cute or fun or or even just call it let's get awkward (laughs) uh I, I I actually love that. I tell people all the time, growth happens personally in relationships through discomfort, right? Like feeling uncomfortable and feeling awkward about things and then having conversations to clarify that and move through it is how you have stronger, better, healthier relationships. And that's how you get to know yourself better as well. So it's good for your personal journey, but it's also good for you being a better person in any kind of relationship. So embrace the awkwardness, talk about it. And what you'll quickly find is that it's not that awkward anymore. Yeah. yeah. Then you'll have to come up with I a new code word. <laughs> a, a new code word. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this question is coming from somebody where the person that they're talking to isn't responding well. You know, like there's the other side of it. Mm. Like they feel it's awkward, but maybe the person is not giving clear like how you respond to questions about consent yeah. is also important. So maybe the person responding is giving mixed signals or weird cues or is acting disinterested or is giving nonverbals. Like I think the, the other side of this question that's really important is that if somebody is approaching you and they're asking your consent to engage in any kind of behave, behavior, whether it's a hug, a handshake or sex, right? Anything in between, it's important to give them meaningful, clear responses to. And if you've been with someone for a long time, you know, the look of consent or the way consent sounds or the language that you use also can morph over time as long as conversations go with it. But uh, if you're not giving someone clear signals or worse, you're giving people mixed signals, right? Like, then I can understand why it would be awkward. So just be really careful Like if you're in this situation and someone is saying that they feel really awkward about consent and you're adding to the awkwardness because you're not being a clear consent communicator, CCC. Yeah. You got to be clear on both sides. And, um, 
I just want to say, Andrew was saying like sending signals, clear signals, and we really um, want to reinforce that consent should be verbal. And there can be signals that go along with that, but we need to hear verbal consent for sexual activity to occur. Absolutely. You want to say, yes. Do you want this? Yes. Does this feel good? Yes. Do you want to keep going? Yes. Or you can say no. <laughs> but <laughs> if, if you, yeah, I, I've occasionally had conversations with people about consent and they ask these really convoluted consent questions too. Like the ones that have double negative statements inside of them are sure that you don't want to not do something. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know if that's a yes or no answer or question. Yeah. They need so to also be, very be clear <laughs> in what you're asking, Okay, but we need to take a short break. So we'll be right back Ooh. if that's okay with all of you. Welcome back, everybody, to our communicating about difficult Awkward. conversations. I think we could probably have a whole series about this. Yeah. Like, you know, every couple I months think, do another. I think most of our episodes are this. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, everybody, communicate. communicate. Yeah. Okay. So the second question uh, that somebody needs a little help communicating about is, how do you ask your partner if they're having sex with other people? So it sounds like this person is, um, they haven't had, uh, are we a monogamous talk yet? Or <laughs> are we only seeing each other? Um, and so there's that point when you're still uncertain or you haven't really had that talk yet and you want to know because it's important for your safety in some way. And um, yeah, that can be a scary question to ask somebody. It is really scary. We did a whole episode about feeling uncomfortable about relationship titles. Mm -hmm. And I think this question is really part of that broader conversation where there are relationship titles that change over a course of relationship. And sometimes people don't like them. And sometimes it makes people feel really uncomfortable because it brings up issues of commitment. Um, yeah. So how to ask if your partner is having sex with other people. Uh, I mean, I think part of it is if you are dating somebody, but you haven't had the exclusivity talk, it's generally safer to assume, right, that this person is not wholly committed to you in a monogamous relationship. And if you go into it with that mindset, like then you're like, oh, well, are you seeing other people? Or you could even like talk about your own experience like, hey, so I'm really into you and I've stopped having sex with other people because I, I think I'm moving in that direction. What do you think about it? I think a lot of times using self-reflection, personal experience, what you feel and what you're doing in terms of moving or changing inside of that relationship helps someone else open up, being transparent and being vulnerable in it too. You can go into this and be like, yeah, consent conversation might have been awkward. This one is more <laughs> awkward. This one is uh, like, I feel really weird asking you this, but you know, this is what I'm feeling in the situation. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can handle it. And I mean, this question, um, you can really phrase it in terms of, you know, why you're asking as well. So somebody might be nervous to hear this question if they think, um, you want to be monogamous and maybe they're not ready or something for that. Um, so it 
could be, you know, that you really want to think about your reason for asking too. Like, is it that you want to be monogamous? Is it that you um, are worried that they're not using protection with other partners and you're concerned about your safety for um, sexually transmitted diseases? Like what, what is your real reason for asking and wanting to know and being really clear about what your motivation is before you ask them? Because you need to know why you want to know. And if you're just like feeling jealous and you just like <laughs> want to know, um, that's okay. But like really understand that motivation going into that conversation because um, the way that you bring it up and the motivation that you have behind it is strongly going to influence how that person hears it and how they respond to it and how honest they Absolutely. are. Even. Like if, you, if someone feels... I think there's a lot of fear surrounding this question on both sides, right? And that's kind of what Spring is talking about. If you come into it negatively, the person might say what they think you want to hear rather than say what they actually feel. Um, and I think this question causes a lot of trauma for people as well because it often comes from that place of insecurity rather than from a place of like really thoughtful like, this is what I want from this relationship, or this is what I don't want from this relationship, right? I think that you could ask this question as well, like, hey, you're you're still having sex with other people, right? Just like, because I am too. Whatever that conversation looks like. Um, but I, I, like what Spring said about jealousy, I mean, that, that level of insecurity that people have, especially if you're new to relationships, right? If this is the first relationship that you want to take to the next level, or the first relationship that you when you're dating someone and you want to be monogamous, like it's a pretty traumatic question to ask them too. Like it, it kind of scares you. Uh, and there's lots of ridiculous uh, memes that pop up about men being scared away or women being scared away by these kind of questions. Most of the time they're scared away by insecurity and jealousy. They're not scared away by saying like, you know, I really like you. And for personal safety reasons, for birth control reasons, for whatever the reasons are, like this is the direction that I want to go in. So um, I have a recommendation here. So, um, my recommendation is actually to talk about what you want going forward. So if you are interested in being monogamous with somebody, instead of saying like, are you still having sex with other people? I think the conversation should be, I'm interested in having a relationship with you where we're not having sex with other people. What do you think about that? Are you interested in that at some point? And like, is that now or later in the future? I mean, and getting those conversations off the board earlier in a relationship is probably important too, because if the person responds back with like, no, never, you're my side piece, <laughs> or like, I just want to keep things the way they are. I like you, but I'm not looking for that kind of relationship right now. Um, if you ask someone this question, you have to be prepared for them to answer in a way that you're not expecting to. They might say, yes, and I plan to keep doing that. Or I'm poly, so I like being in a relationship with you, but I'm going to be having sex with other people in all of my relationships as long as I live because that's who I am as a person. Like, So there's a lot of different responses. And I think doing a little mental health prep work before you ask the question is probably good too, because I think the other scary part about this question is people are afraid of what the other person is going to say on the other side. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of fear surrounding this as well. Um, and just 
just be prepared. If you, if you think you've caught some feelings and they're scaring you and you're asking this question to make yourself feel better about yourself and someone doesn't say the thing that you think that they're going to say, what's that going to do and what does that actually and, mean? And the real thing is, you know, there's no use really being fearful about these conversations because the truth is that the truth is the truth no matter what, and you can't control that. And you being fearful or anxious about the conversations or about the responses doesn't actually change anything. And I, I know that's easier said than done, but um, you you would probably rather know, I think. So there's, you know, this side of if you want to live with fear and anxiety forever, <laughs> then sure, you can just <laughs> not ever have that conversation. But having the conversation actually um, helps you shift out of that space of fear and anxiety into a space of knowing and then able to take action in whatever way is best for you. I mean, you obviously want to know the truth at the outcome, right? If the person that you're interested in going monogamous with is not interested, you get to reevaluate and you get to make some choices and maybe they're not that person that you want to stay yeah. with, right? Like it gives you power knowing the truth. Now you might, it might hurt, right? Like it might not be the answer you wanted, but just, just like Spring said, like being empowered, getting truthful answers is what you need because the truth is the truth. If that person is having sex with other people still, and you're not interested in that in a relationship, you are always better off knowing, having a conversation about it, and then reevaluating whatever your relationship is with that person, right? If they don't want to become monogamous with you and you want to become monogamous, there's no middle ground. Like, you can't, like, be partially monogamous with somebody, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And I actually think there's a lot of people who end up breaking up over this question, not early in a relationship, but much mm, later in yeah. a relationship as well. When you find out that one person is not interested in only having sex with one other person for the rest of their life or for the rest of the month or whatever the time <laughs> period is. And the other person's like, I'm open to new experiences and I enjoy that. And I want that. That's a part of who I am. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so how to ask if your partner is having sex with other people. Honesty, transparency, coming from a place where you're looking for an answer that you're going to make a good decision from and about. Yeah. All right. All right. We got one more. Ugh. And this one's a really rough question. Um, we do get a lot of questions from our listeners about uh, sexual trauma, sexual assault, rape. And the question that we have here uh, is, how do I tell my partner about previous sexual trauma? Right. And, and I, I and this is a rough question. Um, hard for us to answer. Yeah, like spring is practicing breathing exercises right now so we can start to dig into it. Um, so the first two questions are about awkwardness and insecurity and honesty. This question about communication, it comes from a completely different space. Yeah. And I mean, I think that this question carries with it, you know, actually some insecurity as well, like insecurity and in how your partner is going to respond to it. Right. And some of this worry about either my partner won't be able to handle it or my partner might slut shame or judge me in some way, or my partner might be overly protective with me after this or something. And, you know, a lot of people 
have had negative experiences when they've shared their sexual trauma with other people, whether it be a friend, a family member, or a partner. And so this is a question that, you know, can uh, be quite anxiety producing for someone to bring up with a partner because of past experiences. And most of the time, people are not trained in how to respond. They have no idea what to say when someone's talking about previous traumatic experiences. Um, If someone's telling you some of the worst experiences of their life, we have this propensity to try to make them feel better about the situation rather than just listen to their situation and let them know we're there for them. Um, So this is another question we really need to be thinking about both sides. Uh, so if someone like like if someone is telling you this, if you're listening to them, your job is to not make them feel better about what happened in the past. Your job is not to try to find excuses or to put a silver lining on their past experiences or promise make promises about it. Your job is to listen, right, and to empathize with them and then let them know that you heard what they said. Right. So I'm, I'm talking to people who get this message first. So in terms of communication, a really important part is the listening component. And if anyone at any point in your life ever tells you about previous dr- trauma that's happened to them, don't try to make it better. You know, like, don't try to, you know, put a smile on a turd. <laughs> your job, your job is to listen and be there with them in the moment and then thank them for sharing and then maybe ask them what they can do to help, right? That, like that's sort of the path of the listener. Um, communicating in terms of asking or telling someone about the previous sexual trauma really is an internal uh, process for the person, depending on where they are in their healing process too. Yeah. So if you're the person who wants to share, you know, um, making sure that you feel ready to share with your partner, um, because there's no requirement that you need to tell them that, or that you need to tell them at a certain point. Um, so that happens when you feel ready and, you can practice with um, another, you know, close friend or family member who already knows the story, who um, might be able to kind of walk through with you like a way that feels comfortable for you to share that. Um, but also um, you could think about, you know, uh, providing some tips in advance for the receiver of the information. So you could say, you know, I'm going to share something with you that's hard for me to share. And I would really just like it if you could just listen and um, nod and, you know, not offer anything else unless I ask for it or something like that. You know, you can you can set up the situation that you want to have happen as you're starting to share so that that person knows exactly um, how to respond. And, and that's because exactly what Andrew said, a lot of people don't know how to respond. So if you give them some guidelines for how you would like them to receive that information at the start, that can really help them and can help that whole process. And... I mean, when I read this question, it just like it made my heart go out to whoever asked it. Right. Because somebody desperately wants to tell somebody they're with about their past. And I think that there's a lot of shame that people have about like our society shames 
women and men who have sexual trauma in their past. And I think one of the great things about finding someone that you feel willing to share this part of yourself with is it starts to dissipate some of that shame as well. You start to conquer it. You start to own that and talk about who you are as a person. And instead of you being someone who's a victim of sexual trauma, you become a survivor of it, right? And having those kind of conversations can really strengthen you as a person, your your sexual agency, and make your relationship a lot more healthy. Uh, but... I mean, like Spring said, like if you are not like this is one of those things where it, it's you in the right headspace doing it for reasons that you feel empowered. You should never feel forced to disclose this kind of information as well. And I would say the other thing is um, you might also want to include in that conversation, like what this means for you in the context of your sexuality, of your relationship with this person, um, because they might feel like, um, confused about, you know, if that means you want to have sex anymore, or like if they, they don't know how to process or what that means or why you're telling them, um, they might take on, you know, some of this as a criticism or something in some way that was obviously not the intention of the conversation. So I think, you know, um, thinking about what else, what else you might be able to tell your partner about how it affects you and in your interactions so that they can get a clear understanding of that as much as possible. And that's really what the core of all of the sexual communication you do is, right? It's about having a better understanding of your needs and your partner's needs and then finding a way to effectively let them know and, and make sure that you're heard in that process as well. So, I mean, we talk about listening sometimes um, on the show, we talk about communication, but I think this is one of those times where, where listening is probably the most important part of this overall conversation, right? And it's not making it better, it's listening. And then asking if there's something that you could do or something that you need or asking like, what's next? Right. Like there's just being that supportive partner in this instance is the strongest thing, really. Yeah. Oh, off. Oh, just a quick note. Often when someone's talking about previous sexual trauma, the last thing they want is to be touched. Right. So if someone's revealing this to you, often they don't want to be hugged. They don't want to be held. They don't want, you know, to touch their hand. They don't want any of those things. Be really careful with consent. Not careful. Be very explicit with consent. If someone is sharing this information with you, taking us back to question one, consent can seem really awkward, but if someone's sharing previous sexual trauma, then when they're sharing it, that's when you say like, is it okay if I hold your hand or do you want me to hold you kind of questions? Like ask that really explicitly because once again, that gives power back to somebody who lost it, right? Because most of the time sexual trauma, a lot of the time it's about not having power, someone you know, taking control or someone pushing themselves, pushing their agenda on you instead of you being able to say yes or no. So giving someone that power back in the situation is a really great step in helping them get through, get over uh, to be part of survivorship instead of uh, reliving those negative experiences. Okay, we're going to take just one more short little break before we come back and give you our wrap up of all of these tips. Welcome back. 
Welcome back, everybody. Okay. So what just overall tips do we have? So we gave some very specific tips about, you know, these three questions that people asked. What are just um, some overall tips about how do we get through some of these hard to talk about sex conversations, anything related to sex that seems a little difficult? I mean, first of all, is just practice, have good friends and talk about it with good friends before you talk about it with your partner. Realize that everybody has awkwardness around sex and sex in and of itself is pretty awkward and weird. If you look at it, you know, like take a step back and you're like, what is it? You've heard me say it before, like bodies flopping around, touching each other, weird smells, weird sounds, weird faces, like weird stuff going on. So, I mean, I think we kind of put sex up on a plot, like put it up in a shrine and like we say, oh, it's this beautiful, wonderful thing. It's a sloppy, wet, messy, (laughs) awkward thing. And if you look at sex from that perspective, a lot of the awkwardness goes away. So sometimes it's just admitting that there's awkwardness. Awkwardness is going to be there. And I mean, that awkwardness is is fine. And then eventually when you keep talking about it, you end up being like Spring and Andrew where like, I, I never have awkward conversations about sex at this point. I'm like, people can ask me anything at any time. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sure, let's go. Um, but modeling conversations, practicing conversations, and then listening to what the other person is saying before responding. I mean, that would be my, my big tips would be just like, listen, and practice. Yeah. And I think, you know, people tend to think that the practice thing has to be like with a partner or they think that it has to be, you know, about these big topics, but like we mean practice with friends and family, just talking about sex. Like if you, like we talked about before, like when something comes up, like if you see like a sexy ad, like talk about it. Like if you see uh, somebody talking about sex on the TV that show that you're watching, like start talking about it with your friend. Like, you know, just talk about whatever you're seeing or what you're hearing or um, talk about like any feelings you're having about it. You know, like practice all these little conversations because the little conversations, that practice is what makes it easier. And sex is everywhere in the world around us. If you listen to pretty much any song, uh, if you watch any movie, if you watch any, like it's there, right? The prompts are in place everywhere (laughs) in our lives. Just look around. Literally everywhere, like sex is everywhere. It's all around us. All you have to do is say, oh, did you see this thing that just happened? Or did you hear the lyric to the Lizzo song or Eminem, whatever it is? Like, it's everywhere. Just use those prompts and start having those conversations and awkward, awkwardness will melt away because other people want to talk about sex too. They really, they really do. Almost, almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other tip I have is that, you know, just like create a little space for things to be awkward. Like you can, if, if it is like one of these bigger conversations that you want to have with someone, like, you know, if, if you're aware that you're going to feel pretty awkward, like maybe put some of your favorite music on in the background. So you have something to like rely on to be like, oh, this is going to make me feel better. Did I really just forget that melody? <laughs> yeah, okay. This is not one of my favorite songs. It's just stuck in my head from TikTok. When I popped off, then you Okay, here we go. Sorry. Yes. Put put, yeah. put your music I on mean, in the background. Think not about that song, like not think that about song. how you can make yourself feel less awkward or less anxious about something. So, you know, do little things that will help soothe you. Um, you know, take some big deep breaths first, like um whatever makes you feel relaxed that is um something healthy. Maybe like go for a little walk beforehand or something. You know, think about little things that will uh release some anxiety. Um and then like but actually 
actually create the space where some awkwardness can exist. So be aware that, you know, if you're feeling worried about this, then yeah, there's going to be a little awkwardness there and like actually make space for that and talk about it. And that's one of the things we always say is, you know, just say that you're feeling uncomfortable to have this conversation. And that actually disperses quite a lot of the discomfort. If you say, I'm feeling really uncomfortable, I'm really anxious to have this conversation, but I think it's really important. And as you say those words, it just starts to melt it. Um, You take away the power that those feelings have over you when you name them and talk about them out loud. Yep. Feeling uncomfortable is the key to personal growth and relationship growth, like being okay with discomfort and then being okay with awkwardness. All right. I think that's about it. We're at the end. And I believe today we have a period, a period by spring. Yeah, I brought a super awkward joke for you guys today. So if you want to use this as like an awkward icebreaker, you're welcome. Are you ready? I'm I'm never ready. I'm already groaning inside. Okay, let's hear it. What what is it? Did you hear about the penisless man who ejaculated? It came out of nowhere. Oh god. Oh, <laughs> gross. I thought it was going to be like, are you talking about a trans man? I was going to I was going to break her joke, but I went, I went, I let her get to the the punchline before I was like horrible spring. Horrible. How awful. <laughs> Well, everybody. It came out of nowhere. Did oh. you get it, guys? <laughs> oh, God. Thanks for listening, everybody. No, if you have any questions about this show, any follow-up or questions about anything related to relationships or sexual health or LGB, anything at all, uh, you can just let us know. We're available uh we have a phone number. It's 413-I-Rapid. We have email. Gosh, I'm doing we have the sex rap at gmail.com and we have really fun social media. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, soon to be TikTok as well. Uh, and just check us out. Our handle across all of them is at the sex rap. But thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just too. Af- Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.